When was the last time you witnessed something truly amazing? Have you ever witnessed something just truly amazing that just took your breath away? Every time you open your eyes in the morning, amen. But think about those times that are just truly amazing. Maybe it is hearing an amazing piece of musical composition. Maybe it's opening your eyes in the morning, being grateful for the life God has given you. Maybe it's a birth of a child or looking into the night sky and seeing God's creation. Maybe witnessing something truly amazing, like hearing a, per, a pastor deliver an incredible sermon. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> it's truly amazing when a pastor delivers an incredible sermon. Something truly amazing. And when you witness something truly amazing, it's typical for us to respond in some way. Sometimes we stand to our feet, sometimes we fall on our faces. Sometimes our mouths are shut and we can't even speak. Sometimes we call out in praise. This morning, we're going to begin a new series in the book of Ephesians. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And throughout the book of Ephesians, we are going to witness something truly amazing. And we're introduced to it here. This amazing story of God's grand plan to bring all things together under his son. This grand plan of God and we get to be included in it. This morning Paul is going to introduce us to this grand plan of God. The fact that we, by his grace, get to be included in it, and we are going to respond together. Paul wants us ultimately to shout out and to praise God, to bless him, ultimately to applaud God for what he has done. So open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, and there on your outline you can see uh, how we're going to work through this passage together this morning. First, number one on your outline, we're going to see the text. We're going to go through Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 together. Second, we're going to talk about the theology, or really what Paul is getting at here in these verses. And then third, we're going to talk about today, how to apply this passage to our life. So grab your Bibles and let me read for you first. Let's look at number one on your outline, the text, beginning with verses one and two. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in these first two verses, Paul is simply introducing himself to the Ephesians and reminding them of who God is. This is a very typical Pauline introduction. Now, there's a ton of debate in scholarly circles, even in these two verses. There's debate in scholarly circles over whether or not Paul really wrote this letter, whether it was intended for the church in Ephesus or meant to be more of a circular letter. I'm not going to take the time to get into all of that debate. In fact, as we move through Ephesians, I'm not going to take the time to get into all of the nuanced debates that we can get into. They're important debates, but this really isn't the time or the place for it. Suffice it to say that I think Paul wrote this book. I think it was originally intended for the church in Ephesus. 
although obviously the Holy Spirit intended it for a much bigger audience. So let's leave it there and move on to verse 3. Verse 3 is really key for us this morning. Verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 3, Paul begins with this word, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be or praised be in some of your Bibles. I think what Paul is doing here is he's really borrowing from or mimicking popular Jewish prayers from his day. Throughout his day, the Jewish people had particular prayers of benediction or praise or blessing that they offered to God throughout the day. For example, before a meal, they would often pray, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. And throughout the day, the Jewish people recited particular prayers of blessing and praise to God. And I think Paul is basically doing that here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling the Ephesians here at the very outset, to applaud God for what he has done. God is to be blessed. God is to be praised. Notice why? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Why is God to be blessed? Why is God to be praised? Because he has blessed us. What has he blessed us with? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is how Paul kicks off his letter here. This is foundational to everything we see moving forward this morning and really everything we see moving forward in the book of Ephesians. Paul is calling those in Ephesus to bless God, to praise God, to applaud God for what he has done. Well, why applaud God? Notice continuing in verse 4. Just as, here's the reasons We're to applaud God or bless God, praise God, because he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us. In the beloved. Why applaud God? Why is God to be praised? Because He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And here we see how God has blessed us. As we move through the next verses, Paul, I believe, breaks down the reasons we're to praise God by highlighting God the Father, then God the Son, then God the Spirit. And here, the focus in these verses, verses 4 through 6, is really on what God the Father has done. Two major things I want you to see that God the Father has done that should compel us to praise him. He has chosen us, and he has predestined us. 
He has chosen us, notice, towards holiness and blamelessness. He chose us before the foundation of the world so that, here's the purpose, we would be holy and blameless before him. Second, he predestined us. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. It's the language of adoption. Uh, highlights that God has brought us into his family as full-fledged children of God. This is the work of God the Father. He has chosen us to be holy and blameless. He has predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. And notice all of this was done according to the kind intention of his will. According to the kind intention of his will. God delighted to freely give us these blessings. And for that, Paul is calling us to bless God, to praise him, to applaud him. I want you to notice as well verse 6. Verse 6 is a very important verse, a very important phrase here in Ephesians chapter 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Notice that phrase, to the praise of the glory of his grace. I told you a moment ago that Paul breaks down the following verses and he highlights the work of God the Father, then he highlights the work of God the Son, then he highlights the work of God the Spirit. And after each section, he uses this basic phrase, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Why? Because this entire section is meant for us to respond in praise and blessing to God. Listen, sometimes when it comes to these introductory verses to Ephesians, we get caught up in the debate over things like election and predestination, and those are important things. But let's not miss the forest for the trees here. What Paul is really getting at, what his aim is for us, is that we would praise God, we would bless God, we would applaud God for what he has done to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. So that's the work of God the Father. He chose us, he predestined us. Now let's take a look at what God the Son has done starting in verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Let's pause right there. Why are we called to applaud God? Here we see the work of God the Son. And notice what Paul highlights here in the work of God the Son. We have redemption through his blood. The word for redemption here speaks to uh, the imagery of the slave market. That you and I were born in the slave market of sin, but Christ by his blood has redeemed us. He has purchased us out of that slave market of sin. The second thing Paul highlights here, notice we have in him the redemption through his blood. Second, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our sins. This is reason to praise God, right? To bless God, to applaud God, and to lift him up for what he has done in his son. And listen, I want to pause right here 
and highlight that this is, this is the gospel. This is what we believe. Why we can praise God is because of what he has done for us through his son. And those of you here in this room this morning, those of you watching online, if you've not believed this message, that Jesus died for you, that through him you have redemption and the forgiveness of your trespasses, I want to invite you where you're seated, where you're watching from home, to simply trust in this one, this Jesus who died for you. And you can leave here knowing that you've been redeemed, that you're forgiven that you're adopted into the family of God to the praise of his glorious grace. Notice verse 7 and into verse 8, Paul says that this work of the Son is according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. I love that image. The riches of his grace which he lavished on us. He poured over us. And then notice Paul continues. Verse 8, in all wisdom... An insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will or of his plan according to the kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, here's the point. The summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Notice what Paul does here. In many ways, this section is the focal point. Paul is highlighting this mystery, this plan previously unknown but now revealed. This plan of God that we are now aware of, we get knowledge of, this plan of God to bring all things together, to sum things all together, to culminate all things in the person of Christ. That before the foundation of the world, God's plan was to move everything along ultimately to culminate in his son. And again, the amazing thing is you take a step back and look at what Paul is saying in all of these verses. The amazing thing is that we get to be included in it. God's grand and glorious plan to sum all things up under his son, we get to be included in that. And that's supposed to bring us to the place of praising God Blessing God, applauding God. Well, continuing in verse 10, notice what Paul says. He continues, he says, in him also. In other words, this keeps getting better and better. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, the Jewish people, would be to the praise of his glory. Notice there's that phrase again, to the praise of his glory. Here Paul highlights the inheritance that God freely offers, the blessing of the inheritance that God offers through his son. But again, I want you to notice how Paul ends this section there in verse 12 to the praise of his glory. First, he highlighted the work of God the Father to the praise of his glory. Now he highlights the work of God the Son to the praise of his glory. And third, he's going to highlight the work of God the Spirit to the praise of his glory. Notice verses 13 and 14. In him, in Jesus, you also, 
After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were, notice this, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, notice this phrase, to the praise of his glory. So notice what Paul says here. Having listened to the gospel, having believed to the gospel, notice what the work of God the Spirit is. You are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit. You're sealed in Christ with the work of the Holy Spirit. The word for sealed here indicates security. You're secure in him. It it indicates uh, authentication or genuineness and ownership And then notice as well, Paul says that this Holy Spirit is a pledge or a down payment of this future inheritance. We're familiar with the idea of a pledge or an inheritance, or excuse me, a down payment. We're familiar with this idea of a down payment. We put down payments on homes or on cars, and it's a promise that there's more to come, right? It's a promise that there's more to come. And I love what Harold Honer says here. He says, in essence, the Holy Spirit is a little bit of heaven in us with a guarantee of much more yet to come. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment of a little bit of heaven in us with the promise of more to come. And for these reasons, we are to applaud God. Notice, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. It's a lot, right? Like I said, it's very easy to get lost in the nuances and the theological debate of what Paul is saying here. And so many sermons, so many commentaries focus in on the debate of things like election and predestination and exactly how Paul lays out his argument here. But what I want you to see, the main thing, really, if you were to summarize everything Paul is saying here, Paul is highlighting this grand and glorious plan of God to bring all things together under his son. And we get to be included in this plan. And because at the end of the day, what Paul wants from the Ephesians, what the Holy Spirit wants wants from us is what we see there in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he put together this grand and glorious plan to bring all things together under his Son. And when we realize this grand and glorious plan of God, we shouldn't do anything other but bless, praise, and applaud him. That's the point. One of my favorite pieces of music of all time is Handel's Messiah. How many of you like Handel's Messiah? And the most famous portion, of course, is the Hallelujah Chorus, right? And it's customary, it's tradition, at the playing of the Hallelujah, or, uh, yeah, the Hallelujah Chorus is what do people do? You stand up, right? You rise to your feet. Now, uh, the reason people rise to their feet, this goes all the way back to the 1700s at the uh, premiere of Handel's Messiah, And King George II, when it came to the Hallelujah Chorus, stood up. 
Now, scholars debate because that's what scholars do. Scholars debate why King George stood up. Some people say he had a bad case of the gout, and so he stood up. Some say he'd been sitting there for so long, he kind of had the pins and needles thing going on in his leg, and so he stood up simply to stretch, to get the blood flowing again. But of course, the, the longstanding explanation is King George II stood up in awe and appreciation of what he was hearing. He was captivated by the music, and it moved him to stand to his feet. And today, when we hear the hallelujah chorus, we follow we stand to our feet. We don't stand up and debate the reasons why we're standing, right? We just do. We just respond in awe and appreciation of this grand music. And listen, what Paul is calling us to here is to stand in appreciation of this grand and glorious plan of God, to bring all things together under his son, and we are blessed to be a part of it. Paul wants us, he wants the Ephesians to bless God, to praise God, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And this is something that people across all time and places are supposed to do. So let's look at number two on your outline, the theology that we see going on here in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Once again, I'm aware, you're aware of the debate, the controversy that sometimes comes out of these verses. We get sidelined and sidetracked, but sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. Sometimes we get lost in the seemingly infinite symphony of prepositional phrases Paul gives here. We get lost debating Okay, is it, you know, single predestination or double predestination? But again, we miss the point of what Paul is saying here. The point, the thing we cannot fail to do as we look at these verses, really comes down to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here is introducing us to this grand story of God's redemption that we get to be a part of. You see this here in Ephesians. You see this throughout the scripture as God does amazing things, as God does his work of redemption and of blessing people. Often what the response is is to praise God and to bless God for what he has done. For example, Moses, after coming out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, what does Moses do? He offers praise and blessing to God. David, when David is told that God is going to include him and his descendant to bring a kingdom over this entire world, what does David do? He praises out and he blesses God. He responds in prayer and blessing to what God has done. Many of the Psalms that we see in the Bible recount the blessing of God, the redemption of God in a form of prayer and blessing and thanksgiving for what God has done. And I really think that's what Paul is doing here in the beginning part of Ephesians. He's recounting the story beginning all the way back before the foundation of the world of God's grand and glorious plan for redemption that you and I get to be a part of. I love what one commentator says here. He says, 
Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, tells a mind-expanding, heart-stirring, praise-inspiring, life-transforming story of God. And in this story, God has blessed us beyond measure. And we, when we believe in him, we step into God's story. And we notice that we exist for the praise of his glory, for the praise of his glory, for the praise of his glory. Again, what's the theology of these verses here? What's really the point? What is Paul doing with these verses? He's calling us to applaud God, to recognize everything God has done, this plan of God before the foundation of the world that we get to participate in it and we are called ultimately at the end of the day to respond, to applaud him for who he is and for what he has done. So as we look at number three on your outline, how do we do this today? What does it look like for us, for you and I sitting here today to applaud God, to respond as we hear this story of God's grand plan of redemption? How do we respond? First, the problem. problem you and I are facing every day is we are living in an increasingly divided world, are we not? Every time I open up the news on my phone, I see more and more stories of division. And people are rallying together around particular political stories or racial stories or LBGTQ stories. And and again, I'm not saying that these things are unimportant. We as a church need to have answers and a response to those stories. But what we see here is that as a follower of Jesus, this is the one story that should drown out all other stories. This is the one thing that unites us in a world that's increasingly divided. If you are a follower of Jesus, your identity is found in nothing else than this story right here. This story that God put together before the foundation of the world that he by his grace has invited you to step into. This is the one story that unites us in a very divided world. I like what one commentator says here. He says, Paul wanted his readers to know that whether Jew or Gentile, they possessed a common heritage, a common story, and as a result, they could with one voice pay tribute to the God who has blessed them. And similar dynamics exist today. Congregations are composed of men and women, young and old, Democrat and Republican, but is there one story that unites us all? Yes. It's the story of God's plan to save his people. So let's applaud him for including us in his story. Again, I'm not saying that it's unwise to debate. At some point, we have to debate the particulars of election and predestination. At some point, we have to debate why King George II stood to his feet. At some point, we have to debate these issues, these cultural issues in which we find ourselves today. But at the end of the day, if you're a follower of Christ, this is the one thing that matters above all else. This is where we have to start. 
before we address anything else. God has graciously invited us into his story to redeem the world through his son. And as first things first, we're called to applaud God. They're at the bottom of your outline. I've given you some application questions. But your one thing for this week is this. I want you to read back through, if you will, Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. I want you to reflect on this passage and God's plan from the foundation of the world to include you in his story. But I want you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to produce a way to share your personal story of how God has saved you and blessed you. And I want you to do this with the intention of sharing your story with someone in the coming months as we journey through the book of Ephesians this fall. In other words, your story is found here in Ephesians 1. I want you to add the specifics to it, though. I want you to specifically write a story, a testimony of how God has included you in his story. And I want you to do so with the intention of sharing this with someone as we go through the book of Ephesians. My goal for each and every person of Grace Bible Church in the coming weeks and months as we journey through this book together is that you would share this story with someone else. You would share with someone your story of how God has redeemed you and blessed you and changed you through his son by including you into his story to change the world. And so to close, I want to do something kind of fun together. As we see that Paul's goal here is for us to bless God, to praise God, to applaud God. To close this morning, I want us to stand up. Or if you want to remain seated, remain seated. If you want to fall on your face, fall on your face. But I want you to respond as we read aloud together your story the story we see here in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Will you read this along with me as we're reminded of who God is and what he has done as we with one voice, one church, respond and applaud God. Will you read with me? From Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, 
to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you. for your story, your plan that you put in place before the foundation of the world to choose us, to predestine us, to adopt us, to forgive us, to redeem us, to seal us. And Father, I pray for myself, I pray for each one here that in an increasingly divided world, we would unite together as the body of Christ in this story, in what you have done, in your grand and glorious plan to bring all things together under your Son. Remind us this morning, Father, as we get discouraged, as we see the division, as we see the fallout of sin around us, as we're confronted with the sin within us, I pray that you would remind us and comfort us that you have put in place that you will bring to pass the culmination of all things in Christ our Savior. Help us to be comforted to see that none of this has caught you off guard, none of this is a surprise to you. And help us to trust in your grand and glorious plan. Help us to see what you are doing, to see what you have done, and help us to respond, to bless you, to praise you, to applaud God for all you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.